The Money Show. Business Unusual. With Colin Cullis. Onto things more cheerful. Colin Cullis with Business Unusual. The duty-free industry. I've recently been through a couple of international airports and duty-free is flying high. Um, on planes where, and again, I've never really understood why people buy the junk out of the trolleys, but certainly there's some compelling opportunities uh, for separating you from your cash in boring airports and on shops uh, on the ground. What's your insight into the duty-free industry for us this evening, Colin? Bruce, I recently uh, had to spend some time in those very airports, and I've usually just thought of them as another opportunity to try and part you from your money and sort of try and avoid them as far as possible, although they lure you in with these enormous bottles of things you never normally buy, certainly when it comes to alcohol or chocolates. The biggest chocolate bars you've ever seen They, in they your smell life. so nice. They lure you in with fragrances and scents and, oh, just so nice. Plus, there's nothing else to do. Uh, they do. <laughs> <laughs> quite, quite true. Uh, but it did get me thinking because usually you wonder, OK, so who came up with this bright idea and, and where in the world would this have occurred? So I did uh, sort of run down one of those little rabbit holes and was quite surprised to find two individuals that I think are remarkable and worth noting for their business unusual sort of acumen. Uh, and the fact that a lot of it was centered around Ireland. Uh, now, it wouldn't be that surprising that uh, when, when when air travel first sort of uh, took off, as it were, uh, the big uh, most expensive and popular uh, trips would have been those transatlantic ones, people traveling from the US and Europe. Um, and of course, before you do that big jump across the Atlantic itself, you'd want your last chance to sort of refuel uh, and ensure you've got everything that can that can get you across the Atlantic. And once you've just come from the US, uh, you want to touch down as soon as you can on the European side to make sure that you're not going to be spluttering and uh, coming down somewhere over Europe uh, unintended. And that that turned out to be an airport that was built in Shannon in Ireland. Uh, and it was both a, a port city. So they, they had uh, flying boats that would take off from the port area, as well as the, the regular sort of runways. And, and when these uh, flights with generally very wealthy tourists, they were the only ones who could afford that sort of transatlantic travel, uh, would arrive. Uh, they would offer, um, you know, uh, um, some food to those people who were sitting on board and had been waiting on the plane for, for all that time. And uh, Brendan O'Regan uh, asked the question to say, well, they're not visiting Ireland. They're not in Ireland. They're traveling to or from Europe and, 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 uh, um, uh, and, and America. Why is it that they need to be paying duties on products that otherwise would only be levied on people who are literally in the country? And surprisingly, a bureaucrat or a politician or somebody had the foresight to say, well, actually, there might be something to this one because we don't have to charge that. But perhaps it will actually stimulate people to want to spend more money than they otherwise would simply passing through. So he managed to get it passed. He didn't really think it through completely because he would sell them things like eggs and, you know, regular vegetables and fruits and things. But the stuff he saw people really wanted was the alcohol and the perfume and the tobacco products. And that was in 1947. And quite honestly, I don't think much has changed. Uh, but it wasn't just the, you know, convincing the authorities to say, hey, how about doing this? He also hit upon the idea of expanding a little bit more, wanting to sort of do more for that particular airport and got it declared sort of a free trade area so that other industries related to the airline, travel industry, et cetera, could set up there, not have to pay the usual local taxes in order to get the, the economy, certainly for Shannon, uh, to get a shot in the arm and, and get it going. And then he did the same things and advised on tourist boards, et cetera, to really give Ireland um, sort of an early boost 
to where it now is, uh, you know, a very popular destination for Americans to go and visit Ireland, in part because they have so many people with connections there, uh, but just generally because it's been exported to the rest of the world. These free trade areas and duty free shopping and uh, and working with with, with aligned industries to create uh, specific areas to do that. So. Top tip uh, or top marks for for, for Brendan O'Regan. Uh, Shannon, by the way, for those who don't know Ireland very well, is right next door to a relatively large town, which maybe some people have heard of, usually because of what's associated with it. That's the town of Limerick. And so I assume, well, somebody at some point must have written a little <laughs> poem to uh, Brendan O'Regan. And to my surprise, or my search, uh, search skills just aren't good enough, I couldn't find one. So I'm afraid I'm going to have to subject you to one I created myself, oh, no. uh, as terrible as it is. Here it is. There once was a man named Bryn who lived more in the future than then. By saving on tax, he pushed sales to the max and invented you to be shopping. Amen. So my apologies to the good people of Limerick for ruining the poem style, uh, but I thought it, it, it needed to be done. I, I, so anyway, I, he gets a whole bunch of awards. I, I wonder, sorry, yep. I, Colin, I digress for a moment. South African duty-free strikes me as rather an, a pricing opportunity. And I wonder just, and again, I could get myself into all kinds of trouble here, but because you're no longer allowed to take liquids through security, I was looking at the pricing of wine at one of our international airports recently. And I was thinking to myself, goodness gracious me, but the pricing of this wine is adventurous relative to what you pay for it um, in the shops on the land side. When you're air side, they've got you. And there's no competition in the airports. Um, and I wonder whether or not it's not worth something picking up with the authorities who investigate competition. Because since you know, because there's no competition, because you can't bring your own stuff in, they've got a captive market. And it may be duty-free, but what you're not paying in taxes, certainly you're paying in a bigger margin to um, the sellers of the product airside in South African airports. Very true, Bruce. And there's uh, sort of these 20 businesses, 10 of them certainly are these massive corporations that have got sort of locked up, certainly the largest airports around the world. And as you say, effectively, once they get the sort of um, uh, license commission, the contract to operate inside that airport, they pretty much don't have anybody else that uh, competes with them and they can kind of set their prices. Um, th- there is a reality though, and this, this is the bit where I honestly thought, hang on, whenever I look at those duty-free prices, you assume, well, let me deduct the taxes, that should be the price I pay. And it's never the case. It's often quite expensive. It's sometimes cheaper actually not to buy things Correct. as duty-free. But that in part is because the, the, um, acknowledgement that the, the state typically of the country that gives for duty-free shopping uh, looks to say, well, then the uh, profits they need to generate would go to rentals and the fees that the airports company would be able to levy on those companies to get those concessions, which then offsets the costs that otherwise would have to be carried by the airlines or the passengers paying for the upkeep and the maintenance and the operation of the of the airports. And for the size of most modern international airports, uh, you really do need to have to fill spaces to, to have all those people there. And if you don't have a very um, impressive and uh, robust and effective uh, retail operation, you're not really going to be able to make much money back on, on those things. In my case, for example, I had to uh, spend eight hours in a layover in Doha, and they're hosting the uh, the World Cup a little later in Qatar uh, later this year. Massive, massive concourse and an absolutely enormous section where they are selling the duty-free, right from your regular sort of, you know, the kind of stuff you'd expect, the chocolates and beers and drinks and things. But every high-end product, every high-end luxury band is represented there. And my la- layover was till one in the morning and right up until 1 a.m., Every single one of those stores were open. And whether I wanted to go and buy a Cartier watch, there would have been somebody highly knowledgeable, ready to assist, 
standing ready to, 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 to sell me that watch. I couldn't afford, of course, any of those things. But you can imagine the overheads and the difficulty in, uh, you know, sustaining that staff to come and work in an airport, sometimes quite a long way away from where, where everybody else in that particular uh, town or city lives, uh, must be very, very difficult. Uh, and currently, in fact, I see today uh, London Heathrow has had to limit the number of people who can move through Heathrow on a given day. They're limiting to 100,000 per day until September, simply because the number of staff they need to maintain and, and operate the, 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 the airports, they, they can't get the staff to come back. They've obviously had to lay off quite a lot of they're people. Terrible, the they're, they're terrible, low-paying jobs that are physically demanding and shock horror. Many of the people who were doing the jobs before COVID happened have had to go away home because Brexit said they're not allowed to work and live there anymore. Oh, boy, there's a shock for you. I mean, it's, it's how the system has been structured, not you know, and, and it's, it's, it's astonishing how it's having such a big negative impact. Yeah, and, and it'll have to be a wake-up call. And again, I was very impressed um, in, in, in some of the stores I was in in Doha by just how informed the salespeople were to assist you. Uh, I, you know, all the all the currencies either listed in dollars or in the local currency. There, I didn't know what the conversion rate was. They simply asked, "Where are you from?" I happen to say South Africa. They did the the conversions in their head on the fly and told me about all the products that were available. So, yes, if if you do it right, you can get incredible stuff. But you, you know, for the most part, there's not people who are who are that invested. And I suppose uh, for for many uh, of the international airports, that will be a challenge. But, but here's the bit where I thought for the companies that have done well and made a lot of money, and this the second individual seemingly um, is kind of largely responsible for that. It's a man called Charles Feeney. And you may have come across him in your own uh, work and business things because I didn't realize just how big a business guy this guy was. Uh, an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. He was always out to, to find an opportunity and make a buck while acknowledging his luck in being at the right place at the right time. And his uh, first one was back in the uh, late 50s. Uh, he knew that there were still a lot of uh, American soldiers moving around the world uh, following the Second World War, uh, doing peacekeeping operations, etc. And And he would look to find out where those uh, big naval ships would be docking in Asian uh, ports and then make sure he was there to sell alcohol and tobacco products to them, which he did quite well, and then formed a group called, uh, as you would imagine, duty-free shoppers in Hong Kong in the early 60s. Now, this is when he, he sort of got his big break because at the time, Japan uh, was starting to sort of uh, become uh, more affluent again. Uh, Japanese uh, travelers were very keen to go and see other parts of the world, but there were a lot of products that they never had in Japan, especially perfumes, whiskies, uh, and the like. And Hawaii was a very popular destination. And he got the concession to run uh, the duty-free at the Hawaii International Airport. And as a consequence, set up a shop there, uh, was very successful, and then expanded that to pretty much every other international destination and, and, and redefined what the sort of duty-free shopping is globally and made a massive fortune for himself in the process. Besides living very well off that fortune, he felt like he wanted to do more with it. And so effectively, without even telling his co-founder about it, he gave his entire fortune to uh, a foundation – philanthropic foundation, and then sought to go and assist them in giving away that money. Bill Gates and, uh, and Warren Buffett credit him when they did the, the giving plates to say, this is the kind of guy that helped them think this is a good thing to do. Uh, and in 2020, he, he gave away the last of his $8 billion fortune. He kept $2 million for himself for his retirement. That's it. He's 91 years old at the moment. Uh, and it's absolutely incredible about the kind of th the things that he challenged. As I say, he was uh, Irish, Irish uh, heritage. And so uh, he, he assisted first in America, the, the university that he attended, he gave them over a billion dollars, uh, but went to go and do investments in the Irish tertiary education that in the 10, 15 years that he'd made those investments allowed Ireland to become the place where now Microsoft, Amazon, uh, uh, 
uh, Google have set up companies and headquarters in part because he, he made those initial investments uh, to allow those graduates to be trained, to be able to do those future jobs that now have, have put Ireland on the map for being uh, sort of the Silicon Valley of Europe. So a massive um, sort of foresight that he had. For South Africa, we, we uh, benefited the tune of about $400 million that he gave here, including uh, to refurbish the constitutional court uh, site. He gave money to uh, tertiary education, uh, one university of the Western Cape got a 200 million rand grant. And he was one of the, the principal founders behind the TAC. Now, this is kind of incredible when you think that somebody selling these oversized chocolates uh, was behind and had the foresight to, to get our government to shift its thinking, thanks to those very active, well, those activists um, and, and the money to say, we've got to change our attitude toward, uh, you know, how we treat HIV in this company, uh, in this country. And that for me is absolutely incredible. And then for him to do that. And, and the notion that he has is that while he could, he could, you know, sit on his fortune, wait till he dies and then give it to a foundation and slowly give it away. He wanted to do sort of giving while living. He wanted to have the same impact he could on those projects. So he took very big risks. Uh, and, and I think he's got some very big rewards, including uh, being able to be part of the settlements for the Northern Ireland uh, peace accords, <laughs> which he did because he got Sinn Fein and, uh, you know, the, the Protestant organizations to, to, to speak uh, and was instrumental in getting Bill Gates, for example, to go and visit. Uh, Northern Ireland. I'll leave some more stuff online. I was very surprised to find out how somebody was looking just to make a quick buck selling us something while we move between airports uh, could have such a massive impact on the world. And while duty-free shopping, I think, will ultimately you know, wane in terms of the, 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 the heritage it has because online shopping, etc., is going to make it so much more difficult to be competitive, it is kind of amazing what it has gotten and done for us today. It's a wonderful story. Thank you for sharing it, Colin Cullis. Who knew Duty Free could actually do some good? I thought it was just for entertainment in the airport so they didn't trash the place. Because, boy, they can be horrible and boring uh, places to be. And, yeah, the retail is kind of dull. Um, but, yeah, if you've got a couple of hours to kill in an airport, it yeah, gives you something to do. Mooch about the shops for a bit. Uh, it's up to you, I suppose, as to whether or not you get tempt- uh, tempted, temptation, tempted by what's on offer.